Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, come on, somebody who's excited to be at LifePoint. That was, that was like subpar, man. I give it like a five out of 10, but some of you did great. Hey, thanks for being here. I was about to say this morning, it's technically this afternoon. It's been a long day for some of us already, but thank you guys for being here with us. If we've never met, my name is Andrew Garcia. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint Church, and if this is your first time here with us, please do yourself a favor. Come back next week. Hear our senior pastor, Danny Rivers, speak. He's an incredible communicator, and for a moment, can we just honor our pastors, Danny and Rachel Rivers? Can you guys give it up for them? I'm telling you, LifePoint would not be what LifePoint is without the sacrifice that they have made to bring the vision that God has put into their heart to life. So thank them when you see them for the cost that they have paid to help make this happen. Now, if you've looked at your CPS bill lately, then you know that summer is here, right? The heat has been ridiculous. And just to kind of go along with that, we are jumping into a really intense book of the Bible, the book of Psalm. Yes, it's Psalm, not Psalms, like some of us think, okay? But what I love about this book is that it embraces us in our humanity, okay? Our struggles, our strengths, right? Our, our, our stories through songs. And maybe you're a really good person. Maybe you're better than me, but I'm the kind of guy that when I get really angry, like I take it out on God, like me and God, man, at least, at least I would like to think that we're, you know, I, we get verbal, I yell at him, he probably yells back at me like, you're dumb, I get it, like I got a hard head, but I'm like, you made it, so who's at fault here? You know, like heartbreak, heartache, like me and him go at it. And the book of Psalms lets me have an opportunity and it reminds me, I am indeed not as crazy as I think I am. Like when you read the chapters, I can have a sigh of relief because there are other people that have been willing to write down their conversations with God, and guess what? They look just like mine. God bless. Like, it is such a comfort to know that God is willing to accept us as we are. Because if you follow Jesus, right, if you claim Christianity, you know that the journey of faith is riddled with the casualties of humanity. Like being a human is hard. The pains, the problems, the weight of faith and being faithful to God's word can seem impossible through different seasons and unfathomable circumstances. And as I read the Psalms, or as I'm looking at these songs, I find my words in the words of the writers. Like I can see my mountaintop moments and their expressions of joy. I can feel their suffering like it's my own suffocation. Like in, in their cries of anger and outrage towards God, I hear my own voice. In the release of things, when they realize they can no longer control something, I sense the same peace and calm that washes over me after God and I have just duped it out. Psalms embraces us as we are where we are, reminding us that we can be faithful through the fight, that God will come through even when the place that we find ourselves in seems to have no escape. Okay, and we're gonna get really raw, really fast, and I'm not gonna hold back. We're gonna move right through this chapter today. 
Because I think, I think that too many of us for too long have been silently suffering. Too many of us for too long are suffering in silence. We have continually ignored the signs and stuffed them further down under the rug of our soul, anxieties, depressions, thoughts, feelings, ideas that we think if we would just sweep them away, they're gonna go away. It don't work that way. And let's be honest today. Let's just be honest. It is okay to not be okay. Like you can have a sigh of relief. It's okay to not be okay. Like how many conversations have you had recently? where you just ask someone, like, man, how are you doing? You okay? And you know, initially, they're gonna reply back, like, man, yeah, it's, it's going fine, but you feel like something's off, so you ask again, but how do you really feel, right? And it's, it's like the intensity suddenly just jumps up a couple of levels. I just said I was fine. Okay, really? We are not as fine as we like to claim to be. We are obviously not okay. So many of us walk through life with smiles on the outside, but we're carrying all of this dead weight on the inside, trying to convince ourselves and others that life is just peachy, and it's not. And for those of us who are willing to be honest, to lower our guard, to soften our hearts, to do inventory of what is happening in our soul, I think that God has something to say to us today. Because maybe you, like me, maybe you just can't quite put your finger on it, but you feel like something is off. There has a sh- there's a shift that has happened. Like more often than not, you feel tired. You feel emotional. Not wanting to do the things that you usually used to enjoy. Like I feel you. Lacking energy, being tired, being exhausted all the time, experiencing like a, a brain fog. You can't think clearly. You're restless. There's this anxiety that's stirring just underneath your mind and your heart, and you find it hard to concentrate. You feel tearful, like as if you're on the brink of a breakdown. You don't want to talk or be around people. You're not doing things that you used to enjoy, abusing substances or material things to cope with what is happening in life, finding it hard just to cope with the daily stuff, the daily tasks of life, finding ourselves using and thinking about that word, maybe I'm just burned out. These human feelings are warning signs for us that there is something that is happening in the interior of our world that is not okay. There's something that is going on within us that is a little off. We need to make some adjustments, and this is when we can turn to the Psalms. The text that we're going to be reading from today is Psalm 119, and it's an intriguing passage because Psalm 119 has 176 verses. Yes, 176 verses. It is the longest psalm, right? It is actually the longest chapter in the Bible. It's, this section is so large that it's larger than other entire books found in the Bible, right? So pull out your word. Let's get comfortable. We're gonna really dig in and pull this chapter apart. Don't get nervous, though. We're just looking at eight verses, okay? Chapter, uh, verses 25 through 32, right? Some of you are like, oh my gosh, we're gonna be here forever, Nah, bro, I'm hungry too, okay? This chapter is titled after the Hebrew letter Dalit. And what makes this passage so unique is that the structure of this psalm in particular is observing a strict alphabet acrostic pattern. Okay, it's, it's got 22 stanzas, each with eight verses apiece, and if you do the math, that comes out to 176 verses in total. 
okay? It is following intentionally a sequence of the 22 letters found within the Hebrew alphabet. Now, this isn't information that we should just like run past, like, oh, that's nice to know, right? The Bible is a highly sophisticated masterpiece. It was put together intentionally and with, with ma- a mastermind behind it, right? Like as the saying go, the, the, the Bible is, is shallow enough for a child to wade in, deep enough for a theologian to drown in. When what we find is that God exhausts the Hebrew language to show his people how they can apply his word to their lives and life circumstances. And for the average person, following this kind of a literary pattern, would, it would hamstring someone. It's a difficult task, but this writer has been inspired by God, right? And writing underneath the inspiration of God, this author is celebrating the gift of God's Torah, right? God's covenant, God's laws, as a guide for his life, right? For life at large. And it's not just illuminated in the words that we read, but we have to pay attention. There's a number game that actually gets played within the Bible where numbers actually have meaning behind them. They're interpreting and saying something to us. And so the number eight represents a new beginning, a new order, a new creation, right? The number eight is an integral part of Jesus' death, his resurrection, the number eight symbolizes the transformation of the heart through Christ. When we receive God's Holy Spirit, meaning God's presence in us, right, those in Christ are becoming continually a new creature, right, where God is creating godly principles and instilling new habits. It doesn't originate from us. It comes from his presence within us. And we should also know That from verse 1 to 176, there are 325 first-person pronouns that are used. This chapter is highly intimate and completely personal. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is for what purpose and to what end? For what purpose and to what end? And I want you to hold that question in mind as we read through the words of the psalmist. Here we go. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away from sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O God. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. You see, the psalmist is painting a very vivid picture for us to grasp. He feels as if his very being, his soul, is clinging to the ground, as if it is weighed down to the point of death. Something in him has died. There's a suffering that he's going through that he cannot seem to shake himself from. And think about this for a moment. How many things and how often do we go through life finding that most things in life seem to pull us down? They seem to burden us rather than lift us up. You see, I would argue that the natural order of the world is an attempt to break us, to bury us, and to leave us battered and bruised. 
But the psalmist is saying, I know you, God, and I know your word, and it is in you that life is found, and it's in your word that I can, it's the source of life, that it can renew me and, and, and create something fresh and brand new inside of me. Give me vitality, God, that is according, that I find, that I see, that I read within your word. It's a song of suffering and a cry out to God, to God, please save me. Because for those of us who have suffered, and maybe you're even suffering now, right, you know that the road, the fork in the road of suffering doesn't go left or right. The journey in the road of suffering goes up or down. That you will either learn to lift your eyes up to God and trust that he will see you through or that you will begin, right, to look inward and to to dig into your own soul with self-pity and agony. And God is saying, would you just put your eyes on me? Because suffering is all about perception and interpretation. Suffering is all about perception and interpretation. Perception is, is what we are made aware of based on our senses, what we see, smell, hear, touch, taste. And our interpretation is how we derive meaning based on our understanding of the world that is around us and our place within it. You see, suffering gains a grip on us through the relationship between what is happening in our mind and our heart, mentally and emotionally, the things that we perceive as unpleasant, undesirable, or even unfair, and the stories that we tell ourselves and the beliefs that we've hold on, held onto or are holding onto about what is happening or has happened that shape our current circumstance. Harvard professor Ron Kessler, he says it this way. It's not the objective conditions, objective conditions of life that matter. It is your subjective perception of how you measure up or what you lack. Subjective perception. The lens through which we view our life (laughs) See, our circumstances matters. The lens by which we view our life and see our circumstances matters. And it is perspective that marks us. And the majority of us have two glaring issues. The first one being God's word is not our source of life. We are not finding ourselves often consistently and daily within God's word and because of that, we are blind to our desperate need of and for him. Because we don't get into God's word, we don't realize the need that we have because renewal, revival, restoration comes from living in and out of God's word. The revival that you need within your life, the death that you're experiencing and the life that is within your grasp comes from living in and out of God's word within your life, right? That is what brings us to an awareness of our spiritual need and our lowliness. And too many of us are sadly too busy, too prideful and too stubborn to make time for God and then to see that we actually need his help. And the psalmist is saying, God, let that not be me. Look at, look at his words. Give me life according to your word. 
Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. Strengthen me according to your word. Graciously teach me your law. I set your rules before me. I'm clinging to your testimonies, O Lord. I will run in the way of your commandments. Eight verses, eight words, each that are trying to describe the same meaning, the same intent. It's trying to put us towards the same focus that our lives need to be centered in around God's instruction. Why? Because God's word, God's word is meant to order our disorder. He's meant to bring clarity and calm to the chaos and the confusion of our world. But that only happens with careful reflection and acting on God's word. That is how we walk into the life that God has for us. And as you read the entire psalm, you find that instruction from God is the pursuit of the psalmist. It dominates the entire passage. Repeatedly, over and over again, the poet is referring, there are enemies that are trying to bring their disordered life into my reality. And while they are a real clear and present threat to the purpose and the promise that you have given me, I am going to keep my eyes, my mind on you, God. I'm not going to let the outside world deter me from focusing on your law, trusting that you will come through and deliver me from my current calamity. He knows what will keep him anchored, what will keep him rooted. He knows that even if he's not experiencing life in this moment, that if he would just stay in line with God's word, life will find him. This isn't delusional living. This is learning to faithfully abide. This is not delusional living, it's learning how to abide faithfully. It's learning to see suffering as a source of strength, not in who we are, but in who God is. That no matter what path we find ourselves on, God can and God will see us through. God can and will see us through. How it happens, right, is up for grabs. How also does not matter. That's not the point. Remaining in God's presence and trusting God's promise by living out God's word is the point. Remaining in God's presence and trusting God's promise by living out God's word is the point. God's word is meant to do deep work in our lives. It doesn't wall us off from the world. Right? The psalmist says, He's saying to God, in the moments when my entire world seems to be coming apart, when all seems lost, that there's no longer light or love that I can experience or see or take hold of, when it doesn't seem like any move I take or make makes a difference, right? When, when justice doesn't seem to be restored, when humanity seems to be broken, when it feels like the world is constantly and actively working against me, and God is saying, I see you, just remain faithful to my word. I see you, but don't forget to start with me. Begin with my word and let my word shape your world and you will find a faith that will not fail, that will not falter. Remain faithful. See, I believe that suffering is a matter of the soul. Right? Pain is, is physical, but I would argue that suffering, suffering is spiritual. 
Suffering is not being able to see the hope in a circumstance or in a situation. Right? Pain will heal with time, but suffering has the potential and the power to sour our present and our future. And that's why I think the psalmist says this in verse 29. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your laws. Like another way that you could say false ways is deceptive thoughts, deceptive ideas. And what I think that we suffer from the most are lies that we have convinced ourselves are true about ourselves and the world around us. And much of what we see happening within science and within psychotherapy is where people are going to, ex they're examining the details of the relentlessly repetitive thoughts that plague people, right? Thoughts that are completely untrue, not founded in reality, but in order to bring them healing, they have to uncover the lies that they believed as truth. Lies have to be brought into the light and people need to accept the truth and reject the lies that they have been holding onto. This is exactly what God's word does for us if we let it. This is exactly what God's word will do for us if we let it. He will expose the lies that we have bought into and then give us direction for how to take a turn to truth and a turn to the light. He gives us a different narrative to live our life by, an absolute truth that has a central focus on eternity, that helps bring clarity to our present reality and puts it into perfect focus. And so many of us have sold out to the downward journey of self-suffering because we have not bought into God's truth because we don't read it and we don't apply it. And we can't live free from a life of lies because we aren't walking in the light of truth. And if we would just be willing to ask God, God, where in my life am I living lies? God, help me find your truth as I open your word, read your words, and let your words read me. But if we don't, is it any wonder is it any wonder why we can't acknowledge our desperate need of God within our lives? Because if we don't read his word, how can we know that we are moving in the wrong direction? Where will we find truth? We can't see what we can't see. We don't know what we don't know. And if you were honest, we are utterly blind people. This is why the psalmist write the same psalmist in the chapter 119, 105, this is why he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word, God, has the capacity, the, the potential to illuminate my life in a way that helps me see what is happening around me. But catch this, because we read lamp and we think of it within our context, right? But the writers of scripture meant light, lamp more like a candle, how much light does a candle really give off? It's low visibility, but it allows you to see the next step in front of you. God's word helps you see the next step. He does not give you the full path and picture. And that's why we feel so uncomfortable, don't we? That's why God's word makes us, it, it, it rubs us the wrong way because we want the promise. We want the words <laughs> in our lives, but we want it easy. 
We want God's word in our life, but we don't want to do the work to see it play itself out because we don't seek it out and we don't act it out. We want his promise and his plan, but we want it our way. It's not a fast food restaurant. You don't get to have it your way. That's not how it works. God's word comes his way. The psalmist was not crying out for comfort. It was a cry to God to reorder me, recreate me, establish my steps, reorder my heart, heal my broken bones. You see, the psalmist was aware. He says, it is about your ways, your statutes, your laws, your rules, your testimony, your commandments. Help me see the world through your eyes. God, help guide me to see how your word should play out in my life. Give me an understanding and guide me along the right path because you know, you know I'm stubborn. I've got issues. I'm not the brightest bulb in the batch. Like, I need your help and I am utterly hopeless and helpless to return back to the same lies and the same patterns without you in my life. I will repeat the same mistakes and live out the same lives, lies if you don't intervene in my life. Help me, help myself as I seek you to bring about the glory that is in your word through the work of my suffering. This is why the Apostle Paul writes, in one of his letters to the Colossian church, this is what he says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am willing, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God choose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil. I'm exerting something. It's requiring something of me, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Catch this. Paul is not saying that the cross was not enough. Right? There is no deficiency in God's atoning sacrifice. When he went to the cross, all debt was paid. It was a one and done, all sin was covered. But what Paul is saying is now that I have been crucified with Christ, I identify with Christ. I am a partaker in the suffering of others just like Christ was the carrier of my sufferings for me. Because Christ is still at work to reach the world, I am at work to reach the world. And because suffering will still play a part until he comes back, suffering is still going to be part of my journey now. And Paul understands that Jesus didn't come to take suffering away. Jesus tells us, in this world, the one thing that you can count on is that there will be suffering. You will have trouble, but take heart. Be of good courage. 
because I am the one who has overcome the world. Jesus came to transform suffering. Suffering might not make sense, but with Jesus, suffering can have meaning. This is what Paul is working towards. This is the end that he's trying to bring us to in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 19, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. You see, what looks like weakness to man is power to God. What looks like foolishness to man is the wisdom of God being worked out within the world that he created. It's his. How did God redeem the world? He sent his son Jesus, God in human form. God took on a body and catch this, he suffered in that body. Jesus didn't take away suffering, he transforms it. He embraced suffering and makes it redemptive. And he did it by following God's word, the words of his father. God redeemed the world by entering into the depths of our experience. He stepped into the emptiness that we can feel, the abandonment that we carry, the betrayal that has broken us. He enters into the same absolute loneliness that we've all endured. He went into a tomb. He descended into hell. He took the keys back from death so that he could bring us life. There is no depth Christ has not gone. There is no suffering that he has not endured. He did not go to take it away. He came to transform it and to breathe and give us life. And that is what God's word invites us into. A transformed life. One that is not viewed through human perspective or interpretation, but that rests on the hope that is Jesus. And I know when we walk through life, There are these moments when our identity feels like it's on the rocks. And all you've been thinking and saying to yourself is I don't know what I'm doing anymore or why I'm doing it. My friends don't seem to believe in me. My parents don't seem to support me. I don't even know if I believe in myself. Everything that I keep doing, trying, keeps falling short. I'm never, I never seem to be enough, do enough, make enough. I'm always falling short. Maybe it feels like your marriage just feels like it's completely done. There's no logical way that it could be ever, ever recover. Too much damage has been done. Too many words have been said. Too many bad decisions have been made. We keep growing further apart and the pain is too great. My relationship with my kids feels broken beyond repair. I've hurt them too deeply. I've been absent too often. I didn't build them up, but I broke them down with my words and my actions. Maybe I've been too legalistic, too religious, forgetting that it is God's words, not mine, that transform the heart. I can't see how they could or would ever forgive me. When the diagnosis is crippling because God doesn't seem to be providing a miracle and medicine doesn't seem to be working and the wisdom of man seems to be failing. And when it feels like our heart is too heavy to bear anymore and our body is broken and death seems to be knocking at the door, we feel alone, we feel out in the cold, no one to comfort, we see no escape. God, do I have any help? Jesus is the hope that you need. What suffering 
have you been stuffing away that you have refused for whatever reason to not surrender, where you are relying more on your strength than the wisdom of God. And as darkness seems to cover your world and the light of hope seems to grow dim, this isn't the end. Jesus is the hope you need. His word is the life that will revive you. God, God does not invite us out of suffering. He asks us to journey in the middle of it with him. And it's not punishment. You didn't do something wrong. I know people like to say that. It's your fault. You committed some sin. God is punishing you. That's not, that's not what's happening. He is calling us to show the world that what is broken can be made beautiful when we hand our world in the form of our life over into his hands. Suffering can lead to triumph. We see that with the cross of Jesus, but that does not mean that there was not a death. And when we participate in his redemptive work in the world, through our suffering, no matter how big or small it seems to us, Jesus is extending us a part of his cross so we can become co-laborers with him, co-redeemers in the world that he is looking to bring back to him, not because the work wasn't finished, but because he's asking us, carry your cross like I carried yours. And I rejoiced in my suffering because I knew where the road was leading. I couldn't see every step I was gonna take, but I could see the one that was in front of me. I knew what God was doing, that his word would prove fruitful and true in my life. And he clung to God's word, knowing that if he would be faithful and true, God's promise would not fail him and he would see the work through. Cling to God's word cling to the life that he has laid out will you trust God even when it does not make sense will you trust that he is with you right now in this moment whatever storm and season or circumstance you are going through can you realize that he is beside you right now you don't need to understand or see it all just rest in his presence in his love and see how light and life will begin to restore the things you thought were dead and are broken. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? I want to pray over us. Heavenly Father, we have stepped into this space today, God, for you to do work within our heart, minds, and souls. God, I pray, Lord, that your word, God, is being sown deeply into us right now. That it would begin to bear fruit, God, that even when we cannot see life moving, that underneath the surface, God, that you are doing a work, a deep work to take away death, to cut off the dead parts of us, God, where you are going to restore us, revive us, and give us life. And God, so many of us for so long have been moving so quickly, trying to, to stuff away the things that are broken about us, the sufferings that we've been going through underneath our soul so we could just ignore it, thinking it's gonna go away, and all it's going to do is break us and make us even more bitter than we already are. God, today, right now, in this moment, we lay it out before you. God, look at our hearts, our minds, and our souls and see the pains and the suffering and the heartbreak and the brokenness that we've endured. God, we hand it to you. God, as we look to your word, 
and begin to live it out and begin to walk on it, God. Help, help it to come true. God, as we take steps of faith, help your word to not fail us. God, help us to read it, apply its instruction to our lives so you can begin to transform us and renew us from the inside out because our way, our way is not working. And we need you. We desperately need you. And you are with us. In this moment right now, you are with us. And as we sing this next song, God, I ask that this would be a declaration. God, that we would let these words wash over our lives to realize that you are here to help settle our anxious thoughts, to remind us that you have all things in your hands, that you are the rock, that you, you have redeemed our lives through and through the suffering that we see right now, that we're walking through right now, you, have you can make something beautiful where all we see is brokenness and death. God, bring us to life. You're with us right now. In your name we pray, amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.